Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses, I've raised millions of pounds of investment, and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks, and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice, and everything else you need to know to start, scale, and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. Today, our very own HMO mortgage finance expert, Ellie Broadhurst, is back on the show. And I'm asking Ellie about what's happening in the market at the minute. Rates have been going up. And what I really want to know is what lenders have done about that, what we should currently be expecting to pay. And I also want to see what Ellie thinks the next six months look like when it comes to lending. So if you're thinking about buying a HMO at the minute, either an existing one or something to develop into a HMO, then today's episode might be useful. Now, don't forget that if you do need Ellie's help, all you need to do is head on over to the hmoroadmap.co.uk, head to the HMO finance section, and you can drop an inquiry with Ellie and she'll come straight back to you. Right, that's enough from me. Please sit back, relax, do whatever you need to do, and enjoy today's episode of the HMO podcast. Hey guys, it's Andy here. We're going to be getting back to the podcast in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tell you very quickly about the HMO Roadmap. Now, if you're serious about replacing your income, or perhaps you've already got a HMO portfolio that you want to scale up, then the HMO Roadmap really is your one-stop shop. Inside the Roadmap, you'll find a full 60-lesson course delivered by me, teaching you how to find more deals, how to fund more deals and raise private finance, how to refurbish great properties, how to fill them with great tenants that stay for longer, and how to manage your properties and tenants for the future. We've also got guest workshops added every single month. We've got new videos added every single week about all sorts of topics. We've got downloadable resources, cheat sheets and swipe files to help you. We've got case studies from guests and community members who are doing incredible projects that you can learn from. And we've also built an application just for you that allows you to appraise and evaluate your deals, stack them side by side and track the key metrics that are most important to you. To find out more, head to the hmoroadmap.co.uk now and come and join our incredible community of HMO property investors. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us today. You're going to give us a bit of an update on what's going on in the lending market. Bank of England have put the rates up again. There's a lot of turbulence. So as our resident expert on all things lending, can you tell us what on earth is going on at the minute and what we can all be expecting from the market if we're trying to get mortgages right now? Of course. And thank you, Mandy, for having me back. Yes, let's have an update of what's going on. So after years and years and years of rates really not changing at all, we've suddenly had three base rate increases over the last, what, four months? Mm-hmm. So it is all change. And it's been a bit of a mixed bag, actually. There's been some lenders that have put rates up already, and there's some lenders that haven't. It's still a really competitive market, particularly in the sort of less specialist area of the market, I suppose, sort of just more standard buy-to-let products. So there's quite a lot of lenders that haven't moved, but we are starting to see quite a few now upping their rates and Shawbrook have increased their rates this morning. So yes, we are starting to see an increase. What sort of rates are we looking at then, Ellie? For let's say pretty kind of off the shelf, five bed HMO, where should we be pitching our expectations for that at the minute? 
So you've got two routes that you can go down with that sort of thing. So I know on the previous podcast, we were talking about commercial valuations and things like that. So if you want to go down the more specialist route, you are looking at somewhere between four and a half and five percent, I would say. If you're looking at a less specialist lender, so where you're looking at more requirements, more criteria, rules and regulations and a bricks and mortar valuation, you're still looking at sort of between, say, three and a half and four somewhere in that region. So there's there's kind of a one, one and a half percent kind of between the, the lenders at the minute. And I guess that puts us in a bit of a predicament because do we still try and extract as much as possible using specialist lenders like Shawbrook to really kind of lever those commercial valuations and that rental income? Or do we start to think about smaller mortgages and maybe not being as aggressive, just leaning on the bricks and mortar. What are your thoughts on this, Ellie? Is this just a very personal thing? Does it just depend on where someone's at with their portfolio and the plans? Or do you have any advice that you know you think people should be listening to on this? I think there's a few things that you need to consider. I mean, obviously, each person's trying to do different things, aren't they, with, with their portfolio. If you're trying to grow your portfolio, what you've got to balance is what you're going to do with that money. So for example, uh, if and we'd have to sit down and work out the difference in in the valuations roughly and kind of guess where we're going. But if, for example, you could take out an extra £50,000 by using a short brick or equivalent mortgage versus a bricks and mortar valuation, and your interest rate is, for example, 4.5%, and you can then use that to put in to buy another property, that's still going to be cheaper than using bridging finance or investor funds, isn't it? So it's all about what are you going to do with that money and how you're going to make that money work for you. So if you're growing your portfolio, as long as you're comfortable with that, then I think that there's still, you know, there's still definite advantages of using those lenders in order to maximise your borrowing and using that to, to grow your, you know, buy your next project. If you are looking at just rental income and you want to live off that money and you've already bought all the properties that you're looking to buy, then maybe you do want to think about it slightly differently because do you need the money? Do you need the extra money? And if you don't necessarily, then yeah, so a one and a half percent difference is going to make quite a big difference to your monthly income, isn't it? So I guess the short answer is, yeah, it really depends on what you're planning on doing with whatever money that you you take out. If you've got an immediate plan to reinvest it and you can... And, and accessing that money is cheaper than getting some other development finance or some other private finance. It's an, a no-brainer. It probably would make sense. But actually, if, if you don't have that sort of stuff going on, if you just want to sit back, enjoy the pleasures of rental income and, <laughs> and all that hard work that you put into being a landlord, then maybe actually trying to get onto some of the cheaper rates and not being as aggressive yeah. makes sense. And and I get that. Yeah. And then I suppose the flip side of that is any additional income that's going to you or your limited company is going to grow a pot for you to do something with later on down the line, isn't it? So it kind of swings and roundabouts, isn't it, really? I suppose it depends on what people are looking for. What do you think the landscape looks like in the next six months, Ellie, we're kind of, we're, 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 we're moving into June now. So we've got through the ha- first half of the year with a couple of base rate rises. Do you have any inclinations, any insights to share with us about what you think the rest of the year might look like? Are we anticipating rates to continue going up? Are we going to see the lenders follow suit? They've, it doesn't look like the lenders have overnight put their rates up, but that is starting to trickle through now. What do you think we're looking at? I think it's going to, I think it will take some time because 
each lender's got their own method of, of funding. So some lenders lend their own money and some lenders rely on other you know, funding lines and bits and pieces. And I think what we're seeing is that it depends on what, what point those lenders are then renegotiating those funding lines. So some lenders have already had to do that and gone through that. And that's where you can see their interest and rates have gone up, whereas other lenders haven't or they're borrowing you know using their own funds in which case they're in control of that so i think that we are going to see more rate increases and the other thing is you know the age old isn't it we wait for someone to do it and as soon as one person does it all you've got to be is 0.01 cheaper than than the you know your next competitor and then you're going to get the business aren't you so yeah i think we will see more rate increases with lenders for the rest of the year whether base rate goes up or not i i don't know i mean this is just my personal opinion i could be way off but i see the base rate increase up to one percent as a bit of a token gesture so the bank of england is showing that they're doing something inflation's you know nearly 10 percent, isn't it and their goal is to keep it below three or four so they're, they're way off we all know the reasons for inflation and it hasn't really got anything to do with um, our disposable income and what people are spending money on. It's, you know, it's a much bigger thing. So in my eyes, it's more of a token gesture to show that they're trying to do something. But with all the increase in fuel bills and food, will it go up again? I, I don't know. I, I think that that's going to have a much, much bigger impact on people's livelihoods if it does. So I'd like to think that it's going to stay as it is and we're going to keep some stability because I think there's so much other things going on going to cause problems all, all over the place. So I, I don't think it's a good thing. But then equally, I do understand that we've got inflation that's so high that something needs to be done. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough place. It's a tough place for the Bank mm. of England and a tough place for the government, I think, full stop. Uh, and of course... The lenders themselves, they've got their own operational costs. They've got staff to pay. You know, they've got to be able to operate profitably. But at the same time, like you say, if they're not spending their loan books, you know, actually they're losing a lot of money. So they've got to get this money out as well. So I think we'll see this sort of this real struggle between them trying to work in line with sort of rises in interest rates, but also stay extremely competitive because they absolutely do need to and want to lend money at the money. Yeah. They do. They've got their their targets to hit and they they want to get that money out the door, like you say. So it's a careful balance. And I think with all all of this, we have got to realise, and I think it's very easy for people to forget, historically, we're still in a place of very, very low interest rates. When I remember working, when I was working in in banking, and it's sort of 2006, 2007, before before the crash, where people were getting upwards of 5% on their savings rates and mortgage rates were equivalent sort of five six percent so we are still really low, and that was on residential mortgages so we are still in a place of very low interest rates so if investors are suddenly starting to think oh i don't know whether it's going to work now i think that's a bigger problem because if it doesn't work now what is it what does that look like with a base rate of three or four or five percent which is something that could happen over the next 10 years it's really useful to have that perspective, mm. Ellie. <laughs> so thank you for reminding us all, because I think we do get a bit carried we away. Do, this idea that, gosh, interest rates are going up. Yeah. But actually, it's like, yeah, they are. But look at where they were. Look at where they historically have been on average. Yeah. And it's still incredibly, incredibly cheap. It is. Yeah. I think also being aware at this point in time that things are likely to continue, hopefully not to those sorts of echelons, but certainly up and, and maybe beyond 
that 1%. And as landlords, we've got time to think about that. And actually, we've got time to take action if we feel like we need to, to keep that sort of profitability and that margin in our own portfolio. We've got businesses to run. Unfortunately, I think, and it's always the way that the costs will end up back with the tenant. I think that 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 is often where it where it does end up. It does get pushed down to the to the bottom rung, doesn't it? Really, that that's the thing. Yeah. So I think as landlords, you know, we've we've got our own decisions to make on that. But at least if we have an idea as to what's happening and the pace at which that might happen, then we've got no excuses when it does happen to say that you know we were caught off guard. So you know, I'm certainly starting to think about it. We're having to put rents up that rise in interest rates plus that increase on utilities and things like that my labor costs my staff maintenance all of that is you know is starting to have an effect and so we're making adjustments rents are going up and and we need to keep that distance between what we can bring in and 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 what goes out every month on the on the portfolios i think there's two things to think about one is if you've got properties that need refinancing or will need refinancing in the next six months to a year, have a look at them. Look at your early repayment charges. Look at how much it's going to cost you to come out of that and maybe look at refinancing them now. What's the cost versus potential you know, benefit of doing that? And, and have a look at that and see if you can do that because that possibly could save you money over the next couple of years. And the other thing is when you're looking at deals is to factor in a higher rate of interest. So a few people have asked me you know, the last couple of weeks, they're looking at properties to buy and convert to HMOs or something. You know, they're saying, well, what figure do I need to put in at the end? You know, what's what's that interest rate likely to be? Well, I normally do say put 5% in there and maybe now you need to think about putting 6% in there, but just not to say that that's what your actual interest is going to be, but Give yourself a buffer. Make sure that it works at that rate, just so you've got a bit of backup, just in case things do increase a bit more than you're expecting. Because you've got to think, you know, that's nine months down the line, isn't it? If you're looking at houses now, it's nine to 12 months before you'll be financing them. So you need to be thinking to the future. Could some of our listeners think about taking further advances? It's not something that I've actually done too much of with my HMOs. I've, I've done it on my own home before, you talked, you talked, you touched there on, on maybe refinancing and maybe paying early redemption yeah. charges. Is advancing on an existing HMO mortgage a possibility? <laughs> Sorry, Ellie, that's one of my business partners, <laughs> but we're, we're not even going to edit that one out. <laughs> we'll leave that one. Leave that one in. It depends on the lender is the short answer. There are lenders that will allow you to do further advances. There are some that will not allow you to do that. So best thing to do is just give them a call and find out whether they'll do that. There are a couple of HMO lenders that will. One that I'm sure lots of you are going to start broadcasting um, names of companies, but there's one quite famous HMO lender that will do one but otherwise yeah have a look at uh, refinancing completely because if you're doing it in 12 months time and you only repayment charges i don't know one percent or two percent or something in your last year then it might be worth moving it now rather than moving. Mm. okay thanks for all of your brilliant advice ellie i've got another question and this is actually based on my experience recently of going through the finance of a new purchase there seem to be a lot of extra paperwork and friction to the process a lot of compliance stuff that we used to, but there seemed to be more. Has anything changed there? Are the lenders asking for more from us? Yes. Do you know, it's interesting you say that because we've had exactly the same experience recently and it's a solicitor issue. I'm not sure whether it's all the stuff that's going on in the world with 
you know, Ukraine and Russia, whether there's a, there is definitely more fraud going on, financial fraud, but it's a solicitor requirement and they are asking for so much more information. So, yes, I would say be prepared. There's a few things that you can do. The big thing that's changed is the amount of due diligence we need over proof of deposit. So whereas previously, you know, three or six months bank statements with the source of funds in there and maybe an explanation to go with that would be fine. But we are needing so much more things like sort of completion statements for previous refinances, if that's where it's come from, if it's a gift or it's come from somewhere else and we need the proof of that. And it's just, you know, that there's an awful lot of documentation that we need and there's a lot more proof that we need now. So I would say be prepared, keep all your documents, make sure that they're somewhere easy to access so that when you are doing your next purchase, you've got all that information to hand. But yeah, I agree. There's a lot more. And actually I was talking to a solicitor last week and he was saying that if you look at the amount of time that they are having to spend doing all their due diligence it's it's such a huge percentage of the time that they're taking with cases seems a bit turning things on its on its head really because they're supposed to be property lawyers aren't they and they're supposed to be worried about the, the house that you're buying or the property that you're buying does that work and is that okay and but it, it's not it's all to do with the money at the moment yeah it's kind of like guilty and Proven innocent. uh, (laughs) We all feel like we're trying to. Everyone thinks we're laundering money as soon as we try and buy a house these days. Yeah, that's exactly it. We'll assume it's drug money until we um, prove otherwise. (laughs) So, so basically, be Mm. prepared, lenders, and certainly the requirements being placed on solicitors uh, have become more stringent. It's taking more time, and there's going to be more scrutiny on that source of funds is that that what we're saying definitely so lenders normally will want and all good bridging lenders will want you to prove your deposit funds how much that is and then your refurbishment costs and the other thing i suppose just to sort of tie this in is that we are seeing valuers come back and say that they don't agree with the amount of money that you're going to need to spend on a property so because build costs are going up i'm guessing and time scales are increasing whether you think that you can do a refurb for, I don't know, 65 grand, and they're saying, actually, we think it's probably going to be closer to 80. And therefore, the lender wants to see that you've got the 80,000, not just the 65. Right. Something else to bear in mind. That's very interesting. That's the first time I've heard that. And actually, if you're working to pretty tight budgets uh, and maybe being a bit pessimistic about your project, you need to be mindful that actually that could come back and present a bit of a problem. Definitely. And the other thing is quite often we see people and a lot of my clients do a lot of the work themselves. They've started out being builders or, you know, trade of some sort and then they've got into property. So obviously they are going to be able to do it a lot cheaper than if you've got a contractor in to do the whole job. And they're sort of picking up on that. Whereas before we were able to get away with it, it wasn't an issue. Whereas now we are seeing that it's particularly it's those cases where the value was said, no, I think you're a bit a little bit low on your on your build costs we need to up that and then the lender needs that proof of money as well so things like that i think are making just making it a bit more clunky if you like it's not a smooth straightforward process with with bridging necessarily some of them are fine but there's been quite a few recently where we've had those sorts of issues and we will need proof of all of that 
Well, it's always so useful to, to know and understand this, Ellie. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your expert knowledge and insight. Just a quick reminder for all of our listeners, you can get in touch with Ellie if you head on over to the HMO Roadmap. We've got a service page. There's a drop down there for HMO Mortgage Finance and you can contact Ellie directly on there. So anything to do with mortgage requirements, lending requirements for both straightforward and more complicated projects, HMOs, and you do other stuff as well, don't you, Ellie? Then head on over there and Ellie will be able to help you. There's one last question before we let you go, Ellie. And I think that this is probably one for our next episode, in fact, but green mortgages. We're hearing more and more noise about this whole EPC thing. Lenders are starting to maybe get a bit picky. Some products are coming onto the market that are saying, we'll give you a better rate if you've got an EPC grade C. Is there any truth to it? Do we need to have a conversation about this? Do we need to be thinking about this? Absolutely, we do. And I think you're right. Let's let's do a separate podcast on this one because there's, there is so much to talk about. There are more. I mean, Shawbrook actually have just released. They will give you quite a hefty discount off their arrangement fee if your EPC rating is A to C. We've got another lender that's just brought out a bridging sort of bridge to term type product where you can get your EPC rating up to between A and C and then they'll give you a discount off the rate if you can get to C. So we're seeing more and more incentives across the board for low EPC mortgages. It is a strange one. I could talk for ages about it because I think we've got similar views on this that I think it's kind of moved away from green mortgages. Oh, sorry, moved away from where it, it should have been in the, in the first place. EPCs were brought out so that you know how, you would know how much a property was going to cost to run. That's what it was originally intended for. And it's kind of been taken over by this green facade because if your property is a rating of A to, a to C, that doesn't necessarily mean it's cheap to run because you could have a or all sorts of stuff going on in that, in that property, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's cheap. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I think we're going to see how this unravels over the next period of time and see what happens, I suppose, with all the the increase in fuel costs and everything. I think that's possibly going to be at the forefront of people's minds. Are people now going to start doing things like putting solar panels on their roof and things like that? Because actually what did cost quite a lot of money and was the recoup was over quite a period of time, I haven't looked at the cost of solar panels recently, but I imagine that your your time frame for recouping that cost is going to have decreased quite significantly given how expensive heating your home is now. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think we need to spend some time talking about it, but it is something on the radar. And I think it's something that landlords, again, being proactive, thinking about the future, thinking about the changes that are going to start taking place from 2025. If you're doing refurbishments now, it absolutely needs to be in the forefront of your mind because I don't think it's going to change in terms of the requirements. Well, I think this is definitely one for our next episode because yeah. I've certainly got a lot of questions. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I think the whole thing is a bit of a charade. I think the idea of getting all these homes to a grade C is... A box ticking exercise, I think it's getting someone some votes. And I think while the premise, you know, the idea is nice, I think the practical, the very real kind of practical considerations of doing it are quite substantial and actually not at all carbon zero ideas. I think we are very well going to be looking or even forced to spend huge amounts of money to get our houses to a certain grade. And economically, it's not going to make any sense 
whatsoever. So I think what we need to do is explore what that means, what exemptions are in place, what the pros and cons are, irrespective of the opinions of lenders, the timelines that we need to work to. And I've got loads more questions and probably need a good old rant. So Ellie, <laughs> I think we're going to lock you in for, for another episode on this very soon. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It'd be interesting to see like landlord's point of view versus mortgage broker's point of view. I think that would be um, an interesting one for next time. Let's do it. Ellie, thank you so much once again for coming back on the show. Can't wait to get you on as well. You are officially our expert HMO lending specialist. It's it's brilliant to have you on here now and brilliant to kind of have that that confidence from you. So thanks for coming on today, telling us what's going on, keeping an eye on the market for us and preparing us for what's in store. Thank you, Mandy. Catch up with you all soon. That's it for today's episode, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget that I'm on hand over in the HMO community. It's our free group on Facebook. So if you're one of the very few people who still hasn't joined, come on over, check it out. It's a great place to find all of that guidance and support that you need. Of course, I'm hanging out there. You'll also find Ellie there. You can ask some questions about lending, what's happening in the market as well. And you'll find loads of other people doing exactly what you're doing. Of course, if you want to really scale things up and level up, then the HMO roadmap is where you need to be. Join up as a member for £48 a month. You'll get everything that I know, everything that I've learned and found useful and all my tips, tricks and hacks, my downloads, my worksheets, the templates, everything and much, much more that you can use in your own business. And that's all waiting for you. That's it. Don't forget, I'll be right back here next time in the very same place. So join me then for another installment of the HMO podcast. Mm-hmm.